Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. When you talk about things like Star Wars in church, people can get angry pretty quickly. And last night I put up a blog post about the latest movie and I got an email from one of our elders, Tim Wagner, telling me that I was snarky. So I took the snark out, but that didn't do the job. Then my son started telling me to shut up until I've seen the movie. And (laughs) so um, I'm going to start this morning by reading to you. So I'm, I'm trying to defend myself. I don't think I have to go see everything and read everything in order to be critical of it. Because at this point, I think I know our culture pretty well, you know. So anyhow, I'm going to read to you uh, something that I just put up on the blog in between the services as a way of defending myself against my son, Taylor. All right? And the post is about Ray, the protagonist. uh, And I had put up a comment uh, or a post which quoted this from the Atlantic Monthly, which isn't a Christian publication, right? Generally pretty intelligent. And this is what they said about this new protagonist. This is a quote. Ray, the tantalizingly de-surnamed woman, all right, now you see right there, we're out of the gate, de-surnamed. The tantalizingly de-surnamed woman played by the Hollywood newcomer Daisy Ridley may have been dubbed Star Wars' first female protagonist, but that isn't strictly correct. The franchise has had its Leas or Leas and its Podmies. What Ray is, however, is Star Wars' first feminist protagonist. No distressing damsel, she's instead a fighter and a survivor and a nurturer and an all-round badass. She may fit the trope-happy cliches of Hollywood ladyry, the empowered woman, the strong female lead, but she's also something both simpler and more meaningful. All right, are you ready? She's also something more simple and more meaningful. All right, what, what's meaningful, all right? According to Atlantic Monthly, what's meaningful in this new movie, okay? Here it is, ready? A fully realized character, Ray is a woman who refuses to be defined as one. Now, Taylor writes me and he's angry. He thinks I should see the movie before I talk about it, right? Eh, some truth to that, but how many of them do I have to see? I've never liked them, all right? And so, so I go back to the Atlantic and I, and I put this in. This is what they say, and Ray proves herself to be in extremely short order, extremely, 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 extremely adept as a fighter. She is brave, she is smart, she is resourceful, she is a pilot of Siloian skill. She has a ninja-like command of a bow staff. Sounds like a, a Ewer daughter. <laughs> Sounds like a Bailey daughter, actually. Okay, the plot of The Force Awakens, in fact, revolves around, relies on Ray's martial abilities. It also gently, now you know why I'm doing this, right? Does everybody know why I'm doing this? You're all ahead of the game, right? The reason I'm doing this is we're going to read 
the account of Mary. So on the one hand, we have Ray, and on the other hand, we have the, the, go ahead, you're Protestant, say it, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Okay, so I'm trying to get you to see what the world is trying to press you into, the mold they want to press you into, and then I want you to look at Mary. So I'm starting with the world, okay? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your vibes. Is that what it says? No, it says by the renewing of your mind, so that you can test and approve what God approves of. All right, so here it is. The plot of the Force Awakening, in fact, revolves around, relies on Ray's martial abilities. It also gently mocks the characters who would doubt those abilities. Finn, in particular, repeatedly attempts to inject chivalry into situations where chivalry is drastically out of place. During a fight the pair has against the First Order troopers, he runs over to Ray in an attempt to rescue her, <laughs> only to realize that her attackers have already been neatly dispatched with. When Finn grabs her hand as they flee, she snaps, I know how to run without you holding my hand. A few moments later, stop taking my hand. When Finn asks her after another battle with intergalactic baddies, are you okay? She shoots him a why wouldn't I be look. She replies simply, yeah. They're good jokes, but also loaded ones. Now, this is the Atlantic. This isn't me. I didn't say this. Okay? Ray, after all, has been surviving all this time, not just without her family. They left Jaku years ago, and she's waiting for them to return, but also without, for the most part, a society. And extreme self-sufficiency has a way of putting social conventions into relief. Uh, yes, what is this Relief obliteration. The broader joke embedded in all these small ones is that all the stuff that makes for chivalry and inequalities and patriarchy and if you stretch things only a teeny bit, maybe even gender itself, is itself extremely contingent. Oh my, do you know what the word contingent means? You all have to know what the word contingent means. In other words, it's according to our will, our choice, our decision. It's contingent. It is not God's order. It's not God's forming of your body and your mother's womb into male and female. It's contingent. You make a decision what you want it to be, right? So... The whole point is gender, which of course, they're not talking about gender, they're talking about sex, is contingent. In other words, you make of it what you want it to be. And so you start by calling it gender, and then you're on a continuum, and then you place yourself wherever you want, and you watch movies, and it doesn't threaten you. That You know, I mean, this, this stuff is as old as the hills. It's just, all right. She has neither the luxury... It would never occur to Ray that she would be in need of chivalry's attentions. 
She has neither the luxury nor the burden of being a damsel in distress. She's too busy surviving. She fights alongside men and women and droids, superficial matters of identity, clothing, appearance, even gender, all subsumed under bigger questions that come down to basically, can you fight? Can you fight? Now listen, I want to tell you, there's no question women can fight, right? Jail? Women can fight. Has any man here who is married ever had any question in his mind whether women can fight? Right? Anybody here? Lawrence, maybe you, Janet doesn't fight, right? Brian, your wife doesn't fight, right? Never, that's right. And Amy, Hispanic men are just pushovers, right? Right, right? I mean, he's not macho, is he? Machismo? No, not Claudio. How about, how about Joe Eleanor? He can't fight. <laughs> you know what? My sister, my pro-abortion, pro-homosexuality sister, Deborah, whom I love, you know what she says, having taught in the Chicago public school system? She says she would rather break up a fight between two men than two women any day. She said women will set each other's hair on fire. Nobody has any question that women can fight. The real question today isn't whether women can fight and build their bodies. The real question is, can they say to God, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it to me according to your will. In other words, the real question is, can a woman be pregnant with Jesus instead of aborting him? That's the real question facing the church today. And it's the question we face every year at Christmas. Because anybody who looks with honesty and truth at the account of Mary knows that Mary would be at Planned Parenthood. Mary would seize her destiny. She would not be vulnerable to being pregnant jeopardizing her coming union with Joseph. She has a $60,000 wedding planned. (laughs) Now, of course, Mary didn't, but you get my point. We have our degrees planned. We have our houses planned. We have our man planned. We have our weddings planned. We bought the gown. Our whole life is mapped out. And then, what happens? God sends his messenger, Gabriel, to tell us. that The Holy Spirit's going to come on us like a cloud and we are going to be pregnant. And we're going to, be give, we're going to give birth to Jesus. People, we have to see that this is, everything about this story is, is completely contrary to everything about our culture. It's masculinity, it's femininity, it's pregnancy, it's submission. It's referring to herself as a bond slave. (laughs) And none of us would ever use that word in any positive construct. Yep, I'm the bond slave of God. Well, you know, if there was a hymn that had it in it, we might sing it. But if we were doing a translation, I have a video up on the blog where it shows a bunch of translators over in England 
in Cambridge, you know, talking about why they can't use the word slave. It just has bad connotations today. I wonder if they took it away from Mary, the Blessed Virgin. And then there's that issue of virginity. She's a virgin. She was betrothed to a man who had not been sitting petting with her in the basement. And we say, oh, but you can pet and be a virgin. I say, no, you can't. If Mary and Joseph were virgins, you cannot pet and be a virgin. Because Mary and Joseph were not doing everything they could up until the point where they lost their virginity. Mary and Joseph were pure vessels, and God chose them. And then God poured his grace and favor upon them. So I, I don't know. As we come to this, it just seems to me that when the whole world, they've already made a quarter of a billion dollars on this movie. How many, okay, sorry to do this to you, but I'm going to do it. How many of you have already seen the movie? Come on, raise your hand. All right, look around. And how many of you by next week will have seen the movie? Yep, yep, yep. Now, that'll be at least half of us. And they got you salivating, and they got you giving them their money. And we're all just, you know, we're just, you know, we're, it's like Taylor. I mean, I love Taylor, right? You all know I love Taylor. Those of you that don't know, I do love this son. I said thank you for arguing with me. But, you know, Taylor, the thing is, the real bottom line for Taylor, I'm convinced, is that if he can't watch this movie, which has absolutely no immodesty, no bad words, and no blood, he tells me, in it. But you guys, what is a warrior woman in warrior clothes? It's immodest. It's immodest. Calvin says it's a violation of the seventh commandment because it's immodest. So on the one hand, we could have her in a bikini. On the other hand, we could have her in, 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 in soldiers' uniforms. And guess what, people? It's absolutely the same. Either one is a betrayal of her sex. Do you see this? I remember the first time I read Calvin saying that, and I thought, this is insane. What is he talking about? And then I had just a little bit of humility to think that maybe Calvin was smarter than I was about sex. You know, maybe 500 years separated from my perverse generation, there may be more truth than me. <laughs> you know, and I've spent 10, 15 years thinking about Calvin saying that, about women wearing warrior uniforms, you know, sports bras in the ring, being watched by Christian men fighting another woman. Then John Piper puts it up on his block. Not John, but desiring God as minister, right? People, as we read Mary, do not read the account of Mary as being this sweet sort of, you know, Hummel, you remember those figurines? The Hummel figurines, you know, that you put in these little shelves that have like mirrors behind them and nobody's allowed to touch them but mama. You know, that's how, that's how we look at the story of, of Mary. And Mary's just an unbelievable rebuke to the church today. So now let's read about Mary because we don't need to worry about Mary conforming us to this evil world. Right? 
So this is the word of God and it's eternally true. It's found in Luke chapter 2, beginning, or 1, beginning with verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Now, what is the six months? Well, the sixth month is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And the same angel that came to Elizabeth's husband, Zacharias, is the angel that came to Mary. The same angel was sent with a message from God. All angel mean is messenger. That's just all angel means. God's messengers. This messenger is probably one of the seven angels referred to in Revelation. Um, Michael is generally the one that defends the people of God, whereas Gabriel brings messages. All right? And you run, you run into him a number of times in the Old Testament. But here, we run into him after he has already brought a message to to Elizabeth's husband that she is going to be pregnant in her old age and is going to give birth to, to the forerunner, the, the proclaimer of the coming of Jesus, which is John the Baptist. And so when it says, now in the sixth month, it's referring to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, so again, he's the messenger that that comes, interprets, gives interpretations of dreams to, uh, to Daniel. He is sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Remember last week, in looking at the shepherds, we said that all of the aspects of the King of Kings and, and the Lord of Lords coming to earth are as, as completely nondescript and humble as can be. So the shepherds, you know, they're not even able to be at home with their wife at night. They're out on the fields keeping watch. Well, the same thing is true of the area of the Jews. So the Jewish land was broken up into three territories at the time. Samaria, Galilee, and Judea. And Judea was where the, um, the full breads, you know, the, the blue bloods lived. Galilee was called Galilee of the Gentiles. So Galilee was where the half-breeds li lived. Uh, and they lived cheek by jowl next to the Gentiles. So it was Galilee of the Gentiles. It was completely pejorative. 
So if you talked about Galilee, you already knew that you were, uh, you were not in Manhattan. And you were not in Kansas. You were Indiana. No, Mississippi. You know how every northerner despises the south, right? We all learned that in public school. And you know how in the south everybody despises Mississippi or Louisiana. But not just from Galilee, which was despised, but also from a place in Galilee that was despised. All right? And that was a place called Nazareth. And so this is the place that Gabriel, God's messenger, is sent. He sent to Galilee of the Gentiles, where the Goy live, and then to Nazareth in Galilee. When we read about the um, when we read about Jesus getting together his disciples, um, we read that uh, we we read how they despise Galilee because it says in John one forty five Philip found Nathaniel and said to him we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote and then it says Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. That Nathaniel said to him, what? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So as Galilee of the Gentiles was a watchword of... Uh, it, it, was, it, it was humiliating. So in Galilee, Nazareth was humiliating. And that's where Joseph and Mary were from. And so, you know, today... Uh, Every year, I liken it to being from Owen County and then to being from, I don't know, Mike, where in Owen County? What's the most despised place of Owen County? Hunot, right? Okay. In Wisconsin, it's like this county and then uh, Pekwaukee. I don't know if any of you know Wisconsin, but, you know, for a while it had the highest murder rate of any city in the country, and it's about the size of this room. It's a tiny little place. Um, now, what does this do for our faith? Because all Scripture is profitable. What does it do for our faith to have God choose a man and a woman out of the despised region and out of the despised city in the despised region? What does that do for our faith? Well, it can, it, can, it can cause us to let down our guard, to stop protecting our pride. You know, that's one thing that humble people serve us is when we're in their presence, we're at ease because we're not worried that they're judging where we are in their pecking order, and so we can just be peoples, you know. But does it do anything else for us? Well, what it should show is that God does actually have a preferential option for the poor. You know, Jim Sire years ago said that and all of the laissez-faire capitalist Republican Christians had a fit. God, God's not preferential for the poor. Well, look at Joseph and Mary. It seems to me he has a preference for the poor. Look at the shepherds. Seems, in fact, he gave his son the great joy and dignity of being born to... Uh, 
natives of Galilee, of the Gentiles, and of Nazareth. Jesus didn't have to keep up his bloodline. Now, of course, that's not true because he was of the bloodline of royalty, both Joseph and Mary of the descendants of David, who was the greatest king. But I don't think Joseph and Mary were running around impressing everybody with their genealogy. After all, they were from Galilee of the Gentiles. What's the point of making a big deal that you're in some social register if you're from Galilee of the Gentiles? Obviously, your family line has seen better times. Okay? And the angel said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. So here she is from Galilee of the Gentiles, betrothed to be married. She's 13, 14, 12 years old. That's when they got married. Joseph's 18 to 20, 21. And an angel from God, a messenger from God, says, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Greetings is the way people said hello at their time. It was sort of like saying, peace be with you or joy be with you. And the word translated favored one is also used in Ephesians 1, where it says, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So this favored one has been freely bestowed by God with grace, with unmerited favor, with things she doesn't deserve. The lack of deserving with what she's given is central to the meaning of this phrase. The, the root of this is charis, as in charismatic, which means something you don't deserve, something that you're given something that comes outside of you. And this is what he says about Mary, that she is a favored one. God is giving her good gifts she doesn't deserve. Now, why is this important? It's important because the Roman Catholic Church teaches that Mary was perfect. Mary was not given what she was given because she deserved it. She was given it because God decided to bless her and to give her grace. You're not perfect. God can favor you with grace. And so everything about this account needs to be studied and learned in such a way that we don't become vulnerable to replacing God the Father with a goddess. With a surrogate mother who, who makes us feel better about Cuddling up to God, which is what the Roman Catholic Church does with the Virgin Mary. They turn your attention away from God the Father, in whom the justice and holiness and love and mercy are united in one, as every father who's good has that. He's scary and tender at the same time. Okay? And so you displace him with the Blessed Virgin Mary, blessed are you among women, or blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. And all of a sudden your churches have images of Mary, they have statues of Mary, they get painted baby blue. And Mary becomes the mediatrix. Instead of Mary being the recipient of grace, 
Mary becomes the one who dispenses grace. And then you pray to Mary. It's a complete violation. It's as much a violation as feminism is. Mary is given grace which she doesn't deserve by God. God blesses her with grace. And so God can bless you with grace too, the same grace that he blessed Mary with. Not the same circumstances because we only needed one Savior. And so Joseph, her husband, has chosen this woman. They're in the middle of their betrothal, which lasted a year, and at the end of the year, the marriage would be consummated. But if, but if they divorced, or if either of them had in, uh, intimate relations with somebody else, they would be called an adulterer. That's how intense this, this one-year period of betrothal was. And the angel says to her, you're favored by God. And we see that, excuse me a second, um, we see in verse 29 that the Virgin Mary was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Now, the text of God's word here is encouraging you to stop and think about Mary's situation here. Because it's telling you that Mary was really perplexed and pondered. So you should stop and get perplexed about why Mary was perplexed, and you should ponder what Mary was pondering. So put yourself in her shoes and think about the fact that Mary has been told that she's going to give birth, and yet she has not been intimate with Joseph. And so what's going to happen? Well, her belly's going to start swelling, and in addition to being from Galilee of the Gentiles and from being, can anything good come from Nazareth? She now is going to have the added burden of being a shamed woman in Nazareth in Galilee. And she has to be concerned about what Joseph is going to view this whole thing as. Joseph knows he hasn't been intimate with her. And so what is she going to do? And so she is perplexed, very perplexed. And she keeps pondering what kind of a salutation this is, you know? You know how somebody says, you know, good news, your wife has died! That's kind of the level of what's going on here where, you know, the angel presented it, you're highly favored, <laughs> you know? And it's like, one thing is not like the other, you know? I don't feel highly favored. I don't want my belly swollen. I don't want Joseph. I don't want everybody. You know, she's perplexed. She's very perplexed and she's pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. Undoubtedly, that's the nature of her pondering and her being perplexed was she's afraid. And of course, there is nothing that feminism is more perfectly tuned to remove from every woman than fear. 
and vulnerability. That's the whole point of feminism. Notice how she doesn't need a, any man who's chivalrous. She doesn't need a hand. She doesn't need help. She doesn't need nothing. You can't even imagine her being afraid. She's long ago learned that she's on her own, right? Isn't that the whole point of what they're saying about Ray? But Mary is feminine. And so she's afraid. And the angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So that's repetitious. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. So this is where she learns that she's going to get pregnant. But she was afraid. And so if she wasn't afraid before, now she really is. (laughs) Because now the full extent of it becomes clear that she's going to conceive in her womb and bear a son, and she's to give him the name Jesus, which is the same as the Old Testament name Joshua, which just means Savior, the one who will save us. All right? And so, as I said at the wrong point, but now I do say, this is very scary to her. Her reputation is going to be ruined. And she blurts out, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel, verse 35, answers and says to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And so in other words, she's going to be pregnant not by Joseph, not by anybody else, but by the Holy Spirit. Now why does she have to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit? The reason she has to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit is so that she does not inherit the corruption of Adam. Now, why does that matter? Could God have not sent his son down fully mature as a man at the age of 30, ready to begin his three years of public ministry? Why did Jesus have to come to the virgin's womb. And if doesn't it say here, with God, all things are possible. And so wouldn't it have been possible to do any number of things differently than they were done here? Why did God do them the way he did? Well, we know that the reason that, 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 that Mary was pregnant, not by Joseph, but by the Holy Spirit, is that this protected Jesus from inheriting original sin from Adam, his federal head. Now, people, again, what is the point of this to us today? Every time you read the Bible, you've got to see how the Bible obliterates our cultural commitments and everything we think that we know about everything. And so right away, we realize that if you'd listen to feminism, feminism is absolutely determined to seize the responsibility for the fall just as much as as Adam. And so you read feminist tracts and they'll talk about how Eve seized her destiny. You know, they actually write this stuff. Read it. You know? But the fact is, Eve didn't seize her destiny. What the Bible tells us is Eve was what? Deceived. The blame for the fall is on Adam. And it is through the man inseminating his wife and his physical connection 
spiritual connection with the child that original sin is inherited. It comes through the man. And this shows us through all of creation that the man is responsible. It's so simple. But I'll bet that when I just said that, some of you here today are going, wait, I've never heard that before. Are you saying women aren't responsible? And listen, okay, I'm going to be sarcastic, all right? Yep, that's what I'm saying. Women aren't responsible. My wife, it's such a nice life she has. She's never responsible for nothing. I mean, come on. Of course women are responsible. Ananias and Sapphira both died. Okay? She had a chance to separate herself from her husband and live. And she didn't take it. But the reason that Jesus is born to a virgin, and the reason that virgin is impregnated by the Holy Spirit is he will not inherit original sin because original sin comes from the man. In Adam we die. And so all through this text we see the fact that God has made man and woman and that we're supposed to confess our sexuality and that God uses our sexuality. He's glorified to use our sexuality. He loves women to be women and men to be men. When he comes to protect his son from Herod, he comes to Joseph and tells him the threat. And Joseph takes Jesus and his mother out down to Egypt. How we can read this and sing all the Christmas carols and be oblivious to the most foundational aspects of our life, which is God giving us body parts. And then think the only thing that matters is we put the right body parts together and that's the pharisaical hypocrisy of Christians today. Well, as long as I'm celibate, you know, I can be gay. Well, thank God Mary wasn't butch. I mean, come on, people, wake up. Come on. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? You know, we could like do a movie where Mary's butch, but like she gets pregnant. Well, how about Joseph being effeminate? Oh. <sighs> Not to mention her purity. She says, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. It's very interesting in the text that I read a little bit earlier that um, what they actually say about Jesus is what? What they actually say about him is that Joseph is his father. And here it says God is his father. Now why is that interesting? Well, if people looked at Jesus as having Joseph as his father, what does that say about Mary? Listen, people, that means that Joseph stood with his wife in solidarity in her shame. And I think that's drop-dead gorgeous. Do you see that? Joseph could have said, well, you know, she got pregnant, and I'm not the source of it, but I didn't want to put her away. 
And so I went ahead and married her, but, you know, it's not my child. But obviously, Joseph let everyone in Nazareth think that he was the father in Bethlehem. Because that was the story. People said, this is, this is Jesus' father. Now, you can say, well, maybe that was their way of speaking without, you know, that Jesus was raised by Joseph. And that might be true. But it's so clear in all of this that Jesus had an earthly father who was godly. Remember, we're told that he, was, he had a mind to put Mary away quietly because he was a godly man. Then he protected Jesus. He was with Mary when she gave birth, all alone. Listen, that's godliness. I don't know any man here that wants to be all alone with his wife when she gives birth. And then the beautiful crescendo of the whole text. Verse 38, And Mary said, Behold the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. <laughs> oh, man. You know, an awful lot of fatherhood you learn when it's too late. Motherhood, too. And I wish I had thought more about this being how I wanted to raise my daughters that the apex of godliness for my children, in fact, let me put it this way, the apex of success, success, sounds like a snake, doesn't it? That the highest success for my daughters would that they would learn to say, the bond slave of the Lord. Do what you like with me. I wonder how many of us as fathers are training our daughters to be that way. To be simple women who respond to God, I'm your slave, do to me as you please. Now, we're too busy doing other things, aren't we? Making sure that our children have every single privilege, every lesson and gymnastics and every soccer game and every best curriculum and oh and you say well the two aren't mutually antithetical and I say well okay yeah you're right you could have a child who you give who every one of your decisions is 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 as best as it can be for your daughters and so that she's rich humanly speaking you know she has she can you know go to Glasgow she can you know get a master's. I, I got a call yesterday from my real estate agent in Pittsburgh, which thank goodness I don't need him anymore. And I had sent him a message. He said, happy birthday. And I wrote him back and I talked about Jesus to him. And for some reason, he called me yesterday to talk. And we talked and talked and talked. And he said when his daughter graduated from high school, that he told her he wanted to go to three more graduations. And he was delighted to tell me that his daughter had just told him that she is now, having gotten her master's, she's taken a break, and now she's going back for her PhD. Well, am I against women having their PhD? 
No, I mean, somebody has to do it. It's kind of like taking out the trash. <laughs> Come on, laugh. It's funny. I mean, you get my point, right? I suppose that in our world today, there are some women who should have PhDs. I'm not against a woman having a PhD. As a matter of fact, I think it's better for women to have them than men. Don't worry, Helen. <laughs> Tell Eric I didn't mean it. Yesterday, I think it was, I was listening, and I don't remember who it was, but somebody was talking about being in a situation that was Christian. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember what it was. It was, a, yeah, well, okay, now I have to hide what it was. Um, but anyhow, it was, a, it was a Christian school, and one of, the, one of the children, high school children of this church, um, was with a group of Christian high school women, and all of them were like being pushed into achievements that bore no resemblance to being the slave of God and for him to do what he wills with them. None of them would lower themselves to mention a family, home, marriage, and children. They were being asked their aspirations, and all of it was academic. Dear friend of mine, his wife was asked how many children Christian family should have, and her response was as many as they can educate well. Thank God that the Virgin Mary was not raised today. And yet, it was a decadent time, but she was poor enough, and from a despised enough province in a despised enough village and had chosen a man or been chosen by a man who was godly that she was impervious to all the seductions of wickedness and she just simply said you know I'm the bond slave of God do with me what you will And a lot of us would look at that and we'd say, well, that's a, that's a hackneyed response. I mean, has she no self-respect? But we don't say that because it's the Blessed Virgin Mary. You know what I'm saying? And so we like go into la-la land where we live here and then we read the Bible and we're up here and then we go back to here and we don't force the worlds to collide. And therefore, we don't learn, we don't repent, and we don't teach our daughters how to grow up. We don't hold out Mary to them as the model of femininity in all history. She and Eve, the life givers. Hey, Jody. Do me a favor, right where you are, where are you? Just sing. The angel, just sing. 
Keep going. Can't we see the beauty in that? Can't we raise daughters to be virgins and to have the ability to inspire men to write and sing songs like that? It's so beautiful. It's so vulnerable. It's so feminine. It's godly. Let's pray. Oh, Father, please forgive us for our cruel efficiency. Forgive us for our androgyny. Forgive us for our turning aside from manhood and womanhood. Thank you for Mary and Joseph. And we pray that we will become more like them and you will find us fitting vessels to bear the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.